Well, again, good morning and welcome to Grumlaw. We are so excited that all of you are here today as we continue in a series, as you can see, that we are having a ton of fun with here during the month of July called At The Movies. Uh, and what At The Movies is all about, it's, uh, it's about taking a look at some of our favorite films and, and hopefully bringing them to life in a way that maybe you have never experienced before. Now, if you're anything like me, um, I don't watch movies. I don't go to the movies to try to find like some deep and more meaningful purpose for my life. I go to the, the movies for, for one reason, and it's quite simple, to be entertained. In, in fact, when, when the movie award season kind of comes around that, that one time a year, and, and I hear about the movies that have been nominated, in most cases, I've, I've literally never even heard of them before. And, and so I might get curious, and I'll jump on YouTube and maybe watch a couple of the trailers. Maybe I'll even be so bold and courageous as to actually rent and watch one of these movies. And just about every single time when I get done watching one of these movies, I have the exact same thought that goes through my head. Who in the heck actually liked that? You're telling me that people watched that movie and were actually entertained? That was not entertaining, it was painful, or, or maybe I'm just dense and it's just like over my head. Uh, I'd like to see, as a bit of a side note here, I'd like to see an award show where a movie like, you guys remember The Mighty Ducks? Where The Mighty Ducks gets nominated, right? Or, or I watched Bird Box about six months ago. How come Bird Box isn't getting nominated for any you know, award? Stop telling me things like, well, you just didn't get it. It's like, okay, I, I wasn't trying to take a college course on existentialism. I was trying to stare at a glowing rectangle for roughly 90 minutes and just be entertained. And, and I don't think I'm actually alone in this. I think some of you probably share in that sentiment, which is why I think we appreciate films like this. It's Channel 4 News at 6 o'clock. Good evening. I'm Ron Burgundy, and this is what's happening in your world tonight. A La Jolla man clings to life at a university hospital after being viciously attacked by a pack of wild dogs in an abandoned pool. Ron Burgundy. Oh my gosh, she said her first words! Right now it's 82 degrees in our fair city and compare that to 48 degrees in the upper northwest and 38 degrees in the Middle East. Off the coast of Tampa Bay yesterday, one lucky cameraman happened to catch an unusual aquatic daredevil. What you're about to see is a Channel 4 News exclusive. His name is Nutty the Squirrel and he's three years old. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> that squirrel can water ski. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> For all of us here at News Center 4, I'm Ron Burgundy. You stay classy, San Diego. You, you stay classy, San Diego. So if you're last week, uh, we touched on the movie Hacksaw Ridge. And today we are on to Anchorman, ever so slightly different ends of the spectrum. Now, uh, one of the biggest pieces of pushback that, that I hear and that I get from people, you know, going to church or, or becoming a Christian or, or following Jesus is that following Jesus is all about rules and it's all about restrictions, that, that it, you get Jesus in your life, suddenly your life is going to feel really, really constrained. You're not going to be able to watch movies like that anymore. You're not going to be able to listen to that music anymore. You're not going to be able to watch those shows anymore. You're not going to be able to hang out with those people anymore. You're not going to be able to hang... Uh, you know, participate in those activities anymore. You, you, you get it. That basically becoming a Christian means no more fun. 
That, that, that once you become a Christian, fun is just kind of officially out of your life. Now, I, I've kind of lived on, on both ends of those spectrum, a life where, where Jesus really wasn't much a part of my life, and, and now obviously a life where Jesus is a part of my life. And, and that truly could not be further from the truth. The, the reality is, is that, that Jesus longs for every single person in this room to have the most fulfilling, purpose-filled, joy-filled life imaginable. And in this book that we refer to as the Bible, and we talk about it an awful lot here on Sunday mornings, it's filled with these really practical teachings and insights and commands and recommendations that have been preserved for us for thousands of years in order to accomplish just that. That if we would just listen to this stuff, if we would just put this stuff into place in our own lives, Christian or not, our lives and the lives around us would be so much better. In, in fact, and I know this is never actually going to happen, that this is a pipe dream, but, but if just our country, if just the United States was to embrace everything within the pages of a Bible for, for like a 48-hour period, for, for, for just a weekend, that there would be a complete cultural revolution in every positive sense of the word. Our world, not even the United States, but our world would be completely transformed. But, but the problem is, is that so much of what the Bible pushes for and so much of what the Bible advocates is counterculture. And, and the thinking goes like this, and, and keep in mind that this certainly isn't a Christian thing. This is just a human being. This is a people thing that, let me go to the next slide. If everyone's doing it, then it's okay. And if we do it more often, the guilt just kind of goes away. Y'all should be excited about that. I made it rhyme for you. It's very easy. If everyone's doing it, and we convince ourselves of this from time to time, right? Everybody's doing it. Then it just kind of becomes okay. And the more often we do that, whatever that happens to be for you, the guilt just kind of goes away. The guilt just kind of begins to dissipate. And, and every single one of you, Christian or not, know exactly what I'm talking about here because we have all experienced this many, many times throughout our lives. Have you ever thought about fighting fire? With fire? What do you mean? <laughs> I have some information that you can choose to use or not use. Up to you. Ron Burgundy will read anything that is put on that teleprompter. And when I say anything, I mean eh, me, eh, nah. Arnold Q1. After the photo mat was destroyed, the bear scampered back into the woods. Apparently, he wasn't too happy with his color prints. <laughs> <laughs> From the entire Channel 4 News team, I'm Veronica Corningstone. And I'm Ron Burgundy. San Diego. <laughs> what in the name? No! Can you, can you all go maybe a little bit back in time with me and, and remember maybe the, the first time that, that you heard language like that? Like, like, like maybe the, the first time actually that you heard that word, I mean, the, the king of all inappropriate words, the F word, and, and, and in that moment, just the shock and horror that went through your system. For me, that, that, that was somewhere, you know, in elementary school, and, and everything inside of me was going, oh. <gasps> 
I mean, it was just like, you have got to be kidding me. I can't believe that, that people actually say these things. And even though you maybe try to play it cool on the outside and the inside, everything inside of you is saying, I, I can't believe that. I mean, that is the worst thing that you have ever heard in your life. Now, now, fast forward not so many years later, but by the time I got into high school, people use that language all the time. In fact, I, I would use that language even, even from time to time. And uh, people used it so frequently, in fact, that when somebody would, would say a word like that, I, I wouldn't even turn around. I, I wouldn't even turn my head to see who had said it. Now, now how is that possible? How is it that, that, that something at one point in my life was, was just so, oh my goodness, so shocking, could now, that, that many years later, not really that far into the future, become so incredibly acceptable? And it's because, again, everyone was doing it, and it just kind of felt okay, and the more often I heard it, and the more often I said it, the guilt and the shock would just kind of go away. But, but obviously, this isn't something that's just limited to language or cussing or swearing. We, we see this in a lot of different areas of our lives. We, we see this with pornography. We see this with drunkenness. We see this with friendships. We see this in, in relationships. We can go on and on and on and on. And so we, when we introduce this, this book that we call the Bible, we, which recommends that, that we live our lives so much differently than what the world accepts, than what the world embraces it, then, then we just dismiss it. Because unfortunately, every single one of you are being inundated with a whole lot more of the world than Jesus. But, but one of the questions I, I want to pose here this morning is, is where did those feelings of guilt go? I mean, I mean wh wh where did that dirtiness go? Wh wh where did that feeling of, oh my gosh, go the first time you heard that kind of language? Wh wh where did that dirty feeling escape to the first time that you viewed pornography? Where, where, where did that deep-seated guilt run off to that the first time that you experimented sexually with somebody else? And, and perhaps maybe even more importantly, why do we feel that way? A at least initially. H how is it that, that something that once felt so uncomfortable, that, that felt so dirty, that, that, that felt so awkward, can feel so normal, can feel so commonplace, can feel so incredibly acceptable now. And, and I'm telling you that, that all of that is, is no accident. In fact, I, I will go so far as to say that guilt absolutely provides evidence that God exists. How, how else do we explain that every single person here, Christian or not, we all know what is right. We all know what is wrong. None of you took classes in your youth. None of you went away to college and took a college course clearly explaining to you, here are all the right things to do in life and here are all the wrong things to do in life. You, you never see, needed somebody to point out to you that taking a $20 bill from your mother's purse was wrong. Just like you didn't need an in-depth explanation that cheating on your spouse was a bad idea. Nobody had to explain to you that pornography was wrong. That feeling of stay away, you really shouldn't do that was already there. Now, th this isn't a new thought. I, I haven't stumbled into anything new. In fact, a couple thousand years ago, a guy by the name of Paul, Paul who wrote better than half of the New Testament, the second half of this book that we call the Bible, uh, he speaks directly to this in a letter that is titled Romans because he is writing to the early Christians that were living in Rome. And right there in, in Romans, it says this. Even Gentiles, now for those of you that aren't familiar with this, a Gentile simply means a non-Jew. 
Uh, and so by definition, I, I would guess that just about every single person in this room actually happens to be a Gentile. He says, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they just kind of instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. Now, to give you a little bit of context here, what's going on is, is uh, Paul was, was living in, in a culture where the predominant religion was Judaism. Lots and lots of Jewish people around him, but there are also, as it says there, the Gentiles, non-Jews. And, and what the Jewish people started to notice is that the Gentiles seemed to follow all the rules in life that they followed. And that was confusing for the Jewish people because the Jewish people in their Jewish Bible, there are 613 laws outlined in there. 613 do's and don'ts. And they followed them to a T. If you were a good Jewish man, if you were a good Jewish woman, you worked very, very hard to make sure that you followed those 613 rules. And they're looking around at the Gentiles, the non-Jews around them going, what in the heck? They've never even laid eyes on our Bible. They've never seen a single one of our laws. How do they seem to be following the exact same rules that, that we are following despite the fact that they have never seen these rules? And Paul is going exactly, and he continues. He says, they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts. And then here's a key word for us, for their own conscience and thoughts either, either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. In other words, nobody had to tell you. That, that, that excuse that we all loved to use when, when we were young, and in fact, some of you are still using it now, and we all know that you're completely full of it. it it's a lie. That, that lie when you, when you go, I just didn't know. I, oh my goodness, I just had no idea is a load. You absolutely know, and that is no accident. We can't escape those feelings because God built into our nature a knowledge of right and a knowledge of wrong. And that moral conscience is something that exists inside every single person in this room. It's not something that is suddenly bestowed upon you upon becoming a Christian. That conscience either tells us that's okay or stay away. Now, th this maybe sounds like a little bit almost of a, like a bad thing. It maybe sounds like a little bit of a bummer. But the reality is, is, is this is really, really good news. Think about it. We, we have a God that cares so much about literally every single person in this room, every person on the planet, that he built inside of us this intuitive thing that is meant to steer us away from those things that are ultimately going to harm us and towards those things that will ultimately be beneficial for us. And why would he do that? Because again, he is for you. He has your best interest in mind. I think it's pretty amazing. It's like this little piece of God that is built inside every single one of us in one moment telling us you should definitely go do that. That is a great idea. And in the next moment, tapping us on the shoulder, grabbing us maybe in some cases by the back of the neck, going, eh, I probably wouldn't do that. That's a pretty terrible idea. It maybe doesn't seem like a big deal now, but I'm telling you down the road, it's going to lead to regret. Isn't that amazing? That, that, that we never have to actually be blindsided by situations. Can you imagine, seriously, think about this. Can you imagine a life where you truly had no, I mean, zero inclination towards what was right and what was wrong? And out of nowhere, you would be hit with, these, hit with these feelings of guilt and you genuinely had no idea it was coming? That the only way to figure this out was just trial and error? Can you imagine how rough life would be? 
And the best part is, is this, this thing that we all refer to as our conscience, it never steers us wrong. Think about it. When you do what you know you should do, 100% of the time it leads to contentment. When you don't do those things that you know that you ought not to do, again, it leads to contentment. Conversely, when you do what you know you shouldn't do, it will always lead to regret. When you don't do what you know you ought to do, it will always lead to regret. And the truth is, is that nobody in this room, nobody, again, it doesn't matter where you find yourself in this whole faith journey, nobody would disagree with me on this. We all prefer contentment. We all prefer satisfaction. We all prefer happiness over regret 100% of the time. And God knows this which is why, yet again, he's going, I am in this for you. I have your best interest in mind. I I want you to follow me, not because it just sounds like the right thing to do, but no, 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 it's so much better than that. It's because I want to make your life better. I want you to make you better at life. He can peer into our futures and see. He knows that the best possible way for us to live our lives is is one that is in relationship with him. Uh, Do any of you remember these? Anybody remember that by a show of hands? I'm dating myself right now. Anybody under the age of like 16 is like, what in the heck is that? We used to have these little circles. We called them CDs or compact discs. We would put music on them. Uh, and sometimes on the front of these compact discs, you would see this label. Now, in a nutshell, when you would see this label on the front of a CD, I, I want you guys actually to, to participate a little bit right here. What did it mean? When you saw this on the front of a CD, give me some of the words that kind of come to mind when you see this. Seriously, tell me inappropriate, right? Yeah, bad language, like all these sorts of things. Exactly. What, what it means that is, is what you are about to listen to is not what is best for you. Now, let's just say that there was an inappropriate song that had some inappropriate language in it, and you really wanted to listen to that song. I mean, there's just something about the beat that you're just like, like, I just gotta listen to this, but you couldn't really put up with the inappropriate language, so you jump on YouTube, and what's the magic word? I mean, you could type in the name of the song, and then what word could you put after it, and hopefully those, those inappropriate lyrics would disappear. Help me out. Clean. clean, clean, right? You type in clean. Now, conversely, Let's say that, that you like really wanted that language. You're like, no, man, I, I just love it. Like, I can't get enough of hearing just these F words and this talk. Like, I mean, this is just my thing. What word would you type in then to make sure you got the inappropriate version? Dirty, right? Dirty. So clean and dirty. You guys, the music industry's not even trying to hide it. Clean, dirty, explicit content. What you are about to listen to is not what is good for you. But this isn't obviously exclusive to music, right? We, we see this in movies. There's a whole rating system, and it's actually gotten even more detailed now, right? It gives you that little box, and it tells you exactly why it's rated the way that it is. When you start a television show, that little box appears in the upper left-hand corner of your screen, alerting you as to the level of appropriateness of what you are about to consume. And, and this is really great, because for all of you that have destroyed your built-in conscience— you know, the one that, that, that God actually gave you, but you've just completely, repeatedly ignored it and thus pulverized it. Even our, our depraved and, and moralist world is trying to toss you a bone here and there. Explicit content, R-rated, TVMA, this is not going to be good for you. Now, 
I suspect that this is probably the point of the message where people will start to get a little bit uncomfortable and perhaps even a little bit defensive. And, and I will go maybe a little bit farther and say that maybe the worst offenders in the room are the people that happen to call themselves Christians, including myself. Because we, as devoted Jesus followers, we don't do things like get drunk. We, 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 try, to, we try to avoid blatant sin like, like pornography and, and cheating on our spouses and going to strip clubs and using foul language and, and using inappropriate language and telling crass jokes and sleeping with our significant other before marriage and on and on and on. But, but you know the kind of stuff that we don't really like talking about? Or we like kind of turning a blind eye to, and we like telling ourselves it's just not a, a big deal. It doesn't really affect me. It's what we consume. It's illegal in nine countries. Yeah, it's made with bits of real panther. So you know it's good. It's quite pungent. Oh yeah. Ooh, it's a formidable scent. <laughs> it stings the nostrils in a good way. Yeah. Brian, I'm going to be honest with you. That smells like pure gasoline. They've done studies, you know. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Well, let's go see if we can make this little kitty purr. Hey, sweet cheeks. Got an invite I'd like to extend your way. That's the smell of desire, my lady. God, no, it smells like, like a used diaper filled with Indian fruit. Oh, excuse me. You know, desire smells like that to some people. What is that? It smells like a turd covered in burnt hair. Oh. Oh, what's that smell? <laughs> This is worse than the time the raccoon got in the copier. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my word. Now, uh, th this might just be a, a, a me thing, uh, but I doubt it. Um, if I would go home tonight and, you know, let's say the whole family got, got kind of into bed early, you know, my, my wife and kids got into bed, a couple girls that live with us, you know, they, they got into bed, and I just had the living room to myself, and, you know, I, I pull out my laptop about 10 o'clock and opened it up, and I felt this temptation, and, and I watched pornography. I would feel so guilty. I mean, it would be just this feeling. I would be so mad at myself. I wouldn't be able to fall asleep. I would wake up the next morning. It's all I would be thinking about. I mean, it would just, oh my goodness, it would completely consume me. But it's, it's more possible that, that I might go home tonight, watch a movie like Anchorman that, that has more cursing than you can count, I mean, you know how hard it was to find three clips out of that movie? C celebrates money, lust, murder, drugs, and all other forms of debauchery, and, and I would go to sleep with a completely clear conscience. And in fact, the next morning, I might wake up, and on my drive in, into work, I might call one of my Christian friends and be like, hey, you, I'm telling you, when's the last time you watched Anchorman? It's out of control. It's so funny. And we start reciting the scenes back and forth. We're having a good old time. And then he recommends some filth for me to watch. And then we're chuckling as we hang up the phone, and then I crank back up the Kendrick Lamar record, but don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, calm down. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect me. And that might even be up for debate, whether it actually affects us or not. But, but are we sure? 
Come on, are, are we sure we're asking the right question? Are, are we sure that, that we haven't set the bar quite high enough? Are, are we sure that the question should be, does it affect me, whatever the heck that actually means? Or as men and women who are, who are set apart, as people who are sons and daughters of the Most High God, People that have such tremendous value in God's eyes that he sent his one and his only son to die for us so so that we could be ransomed, so that we could be saved. As as people that God loves so much that that he said, rather than just letting us destroy ourselves through our own actions, through through our own sin, through our own mistakes, he he sought for a way for us to still be made right with him. A a God that loves us so much that, that he actively looks for ways to be brought back to him, a God that genuinely wants what is best for us. With with, with all of that in mind, are are we sure? The question we should be asking is, does it affect me? Or or, or maybe should we flip this a little bit and ask, does this honor God? Uh, Growing up, and I've shared a little bit uh, about my uh, time in high school, what wasn't exactly making wise decisions and uh, my, my parents were certainly not unaware of that. They probably didn't know the extent. And frequently on Friday and Saturday nights, I, I would ask them to do random things, you know, with friends. And um, my dad, probably suspecting that it was going to lead to something worse or knew that I was just flat out lying to me, he would sometimes kind of, you know, sit there and look at me and think for a second. And, and then one of his common questions that he would look back to me and pose would be, what would Jesus do? And I'm telling you, I, I, I hated it when he asked that question. It drove me nuts. I, I wanted to punch him when he asked the question. Now, re- reflecting back on that all these years later, that the reason that, that I despise that question so much, that the, the reason that, that it irritated me so much is because I knew what the answer was. And, and, and for those of you that, that maybe feel yourself getting a little bit defensive right now, maybe you're already starting to have some of those internal conversations in your head and you're starting to say things like, there's nothing wrong with watching Game of Thrones and there's nothing wrong with watching that movie and there's nothing wrong to listen to that music. It's just entertainment. It's just a movie. It's just a show. It's just music. Do, do, do you think, I'm telling you, just, just be honest with yourself. Do, do you think that perhaps there's a reason you're getting defensive? Because, see, the easy answer in, in these moments is to say, I, I am so sick of people prying in my business. I am so sick of people judging me. How, how dare you pass your convictions off on me? But, but like myself in high school, is it possible that you're getting defensive because that thing that we already talked about, that, that thing that intuitively tells us what's right and what's wrong, that, that little thing that we refer to as our conscience is starting to kick back into gear? Is it possible that, that your heavenly father, like, like right now in this moment, is trying to point you in a different direction? Is it possible? Come on. Is it possible that you've convinced yourself that everyone's doing it, so it's okay? And, and honestly, you've just done it so much that you've just kind of driven the guilt away. But right now, that sometimes annoying, pesky little thing your conscience is suddenly re-engaging. And my challenge to all of you this morning would be, don't fight that. And in fact, stop viewing that as a negative thing. 
It's incredibly, incredibly positive. It is God trying to point you towards what is good. He's trying to intervene. He's trying to prevent future regret. He's trying to show you what is best rather than what's easy, rather than what has become acceptable. As we wrap up this morning, I want to take a look at a psalm. Uh, that we find. Uh, Psalms is a, is a book that we find in the Old Testament, which is the first half of the Bible. It's really a collection of songs and prayers, and, and there were a lot of different people that contributed to the book of Psalms, but one of the most notable authors is a guy by the name of David, uh, King David, in fact. He's one of the most famous kings in, in the history of the world, and in Psalm 101, David writes this prayer for, for help to live a blameless life. It's, it's this road map that he hopes will lead to a life of integrity. A life that that won't be full of regret, but one that'll be full of contentment and joy and happiness. And and one of the unique things about this psalm is that uh, scholars are pretty confident that that he wrote this pretty early on in his reign. Uh, He was setting the standards that he wanted to follow that would lead to, to the best life possible. And so in Psalm 101, he says this, he says, I'll be careful to live a blameless life. I will lead a life of integrity in my own homes, something that is definitely Far easier said than done, but, but then he goes on to give us some, some really practical steps in order to make this a reality. He continues. He says, I will refuse to look at anything, anything vile and vulgar. I hate all who deal crookedly. I will have nothing to do with them. I will reject perverse ideas and stay away from not just some evil, every evil. I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbors, people who gossip, People who speak negatively about others. I will not endure conceit and pride. And then he wraps up this prayer with one statement. He says this, my daily task, my daily commitment will be to ferret out. We don't usually use that language, ferret out. We will will be to get rid of the wicked and free the city of the Lord from their grip. David's making here in, in this prayer A commitment to rid all kinds of wicked from his life. Not just the incredibly obvious, not just the glaring stuff, not not just the the stuff that everybody universally recognizes as wrong, but even the stuff that society has deemed to be okay. And and he recognized this, that, that, that very early on in his kingship, that the best way to live A life that is free of regret and full of satisfaction and full of contentment and full of purpose is one where we actually listen to our conscience because our heavenly father has our best interest in mind. And so as we wrap up today, the final question I have for you is is what are you consuming? What are you consuming? Is what you're observing and reading, hearing, listening to, watching, experiencing? Could it be called true and honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable? Does it honor God? And if the answer to that question is no, and I would suspect that just about every person in this room has a couple of things that may fall into that category, what's keeping you from ridding that stuff of your life? I recognize that, that for some of you, it's maybe not as simple as stopping, that for some of you, these things have turned into full-blown addictions, at the very least, a really difficult habit to break. 
But, but are you content to just allow this stuff to continue to win? Or are you willing to take like drastic action? Or are you content with living the rest of your life doing things that you know 100% would disappoint your creator? I, I wanna make this really clear today. I'm not on a soapbox here. I, I, I am not perfect in this area. When I give these talks, it is so incredibly convicting for me. I'm like, God, if you want me to say that, that means I gotta stop watching this. If you want me to say that, I'll be the biggest hypocrite on the planet if I don't start turning that off. My wife and I, over the last couple of years, we, we have turned off more movies than we probably watched. We get like 10, 15 minutes into it and then we're both kind of doing that dance on the couch where we're shooting looks like, are they noticing this? Are they noticing this? And then we're like, we gotta turn this off, right? Right, and we just turn it off. Why not let today be the day that you take real action? You move out of your girlfriend's, you move out of your boyfriend's place. You, you finally, and we've talked about this so much, you have finally put filters on all of your electronic devices. Some of you, you'd be wise to cancel your Netflix account. Some of you, you'd be even wiser to stop spending time with certain people. You start applying for that new job. You start letting God direct your life and you see what happens. See that your creator does indeed have your best interest in mind, that he does indeed want your life to be better. Again, David says, I will be careful to live a blameless life. I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. I, I know I, I say these kind of things a lot, but can you imagine, seriously, can you imagine if just the Christians took this seriously? If just the Jesus followers in this room took this seriously? We did a whole series in it a while back called Radical. If you haven't listened to it, I really recommend you go back and listen to it. The, the reason that Christianity and the local church has become so incredibly unattractive is because most of us are living our lives just as everyone around us does with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in. With an hour of Sunday mornings of Jesus kind of trickled in to our lives. And it's not attractive to anyone. When we live a life like this, that is truly blameless, that is set apart, it, it, it is compelling. People want to know more. We can recapture this. It's hard because of the society that we live in. Are we content, again, just living through life, just going, okay, yeah, maybe, okay, does it affect me or does this honor God? And recognize, again, it's not about God putting restrictions on your life. No, 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 no. He has something better for us. He has your best interest in mind.